Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. In my opinion, any organization with respect for its data should have a chief data and analytics officer as part of their C-suite. Although the CDAO role is still nascent, Business leaders across many industries are starting to appreciate the need for data and analytics at board and executive levels. So what does the CDAO actually do? And how should they spend their time to balance strategic influence with operational delivery of data products? To answer these questions and many more related to the principal analytics role, I recently spoke to Shira Saga, who is the chief data officer at Latitude Financial. As the CDO at one of Australia's largest consumer financial services firms, Shira is responsible for the end-to-end journey of data through the organization, right from extraction to value creation through data products. He leads a large team of data scientists, data analysts, data architects, engineers, machine learning experts, BI and data warehouse developers, and data governance experts, who are responsible for bringing the company's data and analytics strategy to life. In this episode of Leaders of Analytics, we discuss what a week in the role of a CDAO looks like, how to secure strategic support and executive sponsorship for analytics projects, what's required of CDAOs and their teams to foster a data literate organization, how to structure data and analytics functions for success, the future of the CDAO role, and much more. Let's dive in. Here's Shira. Shira Saga, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. It is so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jonas. It's a pleasure to be here. It is truly wonderful because I have followed your career for a little bit because you are a chief data officer and that is the topic of today's conversation. There are a few but increasing number of chief data officers out there or chief data and analytics officers. They might be called it from time to time, but you're really forging a path for the rest of us in the industry in that role. So we're going to hear more about that. Before we get to that, let's just hear a little bit about you. So perhaps could you tell us a bit about yourself, your career background, and what you do. So ever since I've started working officially, I've always been in the data space. It used to be called different things when I started work. It used to be called business analytics, and then data analytics, and then now it's data science. Hopefully it'll be data arts in the future. I don't know. So it's, it's just that's what I've done all my life. And what I tend to think is I help people find make a decision with data. That's what I do. And you've probably heard me say this quite often. 
I like to think of myself as the lost and found guy. So if you lose something, I find it with data. That's what I do, data and tech. And so if there was no data and no tech, and then all this happened and we lived 100 years ago, I'd still be in the railway station being the lost and found guy trying to find something that you've lost. So that's what I do for a living. And yeah, so when I try to do this at scale, I try to do this for an organization. There are elements and aspects to it, but be it through an algorithm or a dashboard or analysis or any aspect of data, at the end of the day, I believe it's all about people making smarter decisions with it and better decisions with it. And so that's what I make make happen. I help be it a customer, be it the employee at an enterprise, or be it somebody else, a partner that you work with, everyone gets to make smarter decisions. And if we can help make that happen with data, that's what me and the team do for a living. That is truly music to my ears. And I do think that for modern business leaders, it is a blessing to have data, uh, even though it can seem a bit daunting at times because uh, previous generations would have to only use gut feel. When you can combine gut feel with the actual facts, decisions are much better. Now, you did mention that you have worked in the field of, uh, let's call it data science for now, since you started your career. But back then, I've been through the same journey. There wasn't anything called that and you couldn't do a degree in, in the subject and so on. How did you end up in this field? Yeah, so I, I think growing up in high school, there was this amazing, you like a subject for the teacher is what I always believe. More often than not, it's the teacher that makes the subject interesting. People pick history because they have a really great history teacher or physics. And we had an amazing math teacher in high school. And so he would try to put everything that we learned. So we would, he taught us Poisson distribution, right? And it's one of the most boring things that you can learn. But he tried to explain how Poisson distribution works when you're standing in a queue. It, because everything in a queue is a Poisson process. So which lane of the queue? So if there are two queues and you're standing to in a, two windows of the same queue, which queue should you pick? And you can explain that through Poisson process or understanding how infinity works or how calculus works in the real world through real examples. And when you try to do that, you really have a fascination for math and everything math. And so that translated into when I grow up and when I go to get a job, I want to work in the math space. You don't know what that looks like. You can obviously go into theoretical mathematics and do a lot of research. But luckily enough, a company that came advertising when I was in uni had the tagline called Do the Math. And I'm like, that That sounds like a, the company that I want to work for. And so that's how it happened. Didn't realize it was a data company or we were trying to solve it, problems with data. It's mostly statistics-driven problem solving and stat involved a lot of math. And that's how I got into the field. And then one thing led to another where stats became less and less important and more and more was about the technology because people were implementing, commoditizing a lot of this. Anybody could write a piece of regression code. Previously, you had to understand how regression worked, what were the assumptions, what is normalization, what is heteroscedasticity. You needed to know by heart what it meant and how it worked. And then as things got commoditized more and more, anybody could write one line of LM of something or whatever it is, and then they could get, get it done. And so then trying to go on the journey and try to pick it up is what I've done in the last few years. Nice. And you're highlighting the fact that teachers can have such a huge impact on our lives, whether they like it or not. And we probably don't often reflect on that as leaders as well, that we are teachers and we can set people off on a path. I remember having a maths teacher who questioned on why are we learning all these equations and so on. And they said, uh, I'm not sure what you're going to use it for, but all I know is I've got to teach you what's in this book and you've got to be able to pass the exam. And I thought, no, this is not quite the answer I was looking for. So I didn't really enjoy that process until I discovered analytics and all of a sudden data became this magical tool for me. Similar process, but unfortunately I had the opposite teacher to you. <laughs> 
And so I try to do that. I try to pass it on in my own small way. I work with high school students here in Australia or uni graduates and try to do my bit to make it look attractive, if you want to call it that. Because more often than not, people are like, what do I do? Why do I learn math? What kind of job am I going to get? And I'm like, if you learn math, you can do this cool stuff when you grow up and get into a job. And that people don't have, make that connection. And so trying to do that is my part to play back to pay it back in some small way. Yeah, okay. So you go to schools and do educational sessions? Yeah, so work with, that's right. Now, Shira, I want to go to your current role as the chief data officer for Latitude Financial, because it's really an interesting role for me to hear more about, and also for the audience, of course. So could you tell us a bit about your role there and the strategic remit that you have as the CDO at Latitude? So I think two, two things, right? So chief data officers, typically, at least right now, my peers, the ones I speak to, more often than not are the ones that build capability in the form of data. So they build the data capability in the business, they govern the data, they're responsible for ownership and stuff like that. So I bucket all of that into the capability bucket. And then there's the value creation bucket, which is more of the analytics and data science and that's decentralized. That's typically how it's set up. So what I've done and the way I believe in it is people who build the capability should not be the dif- should not be different to people who deliver value because then what it does is it creates true strata of people, one who's building capability and another one who's just generating value without knowing what is possible. And so we don't want, we didn't want to do that. So we've tried to send, look at everyone together in this version of chief data office, where we have people across data engineering and platforms who build the capability to put a center of excellence, who not only build capability, but deliver value to analytics and insights, who then add more value to it and then data science and data governance. So the way we've done it is I like to think of it as a supply chain of data. Somebody figures out where data is, somebody brings it up, somebody creates value out of it and somebody markets and sells it. So we do the entire supply chain of data for latitude and what I've been asked to do is three things. One, make data and insights more accessible for everybody, which is what we try to do. Nobody should ever feel like they can't see something or they don't know what's happening or it takes forever to understand how things are performing. So accessibility, intelligence, making everything intelligent rather than just because now, like, like we spoke about, everything is so commoditized. You can bring data in and you can put it in a dashboard, but how do we make sure it's intelligent and useful? So that's intelligent and then make sure it's reliable because if it's not reliable, nobody can use it and it's just complete garbage. So how do you make sure it's accessible, intelligent, and reliable is what the CDO team's mandate is right now. Yeah. And it's such an interesting conversation around how you structured the team around the delivery, because it, uh, if I reflect on my experience in my career with this, there's often this chasm between the data engineering part that is very busy on making data accurate and stored safely, securely in data warehousing environment versus the analytics functions that are trying to make something out of that. And uh, the disconnect can often uh, mean that we're in one corner building the utopian data warehouse and in the other corner screaming for data that we don't have access to. What are the benefits you've seen of bringing the two together? Yeah. So I think the benefits of bringing two together is people understand each other's pains. So like exactly the example you gave, I've worked with, when I took care of data teams in the past, like just a data science team in the past. We worked with data engineers who got really excited bringing data in, and then that's where their jobs stopped. They're like, I've brought everything in. I really don't care what you do with it. And they walk away, and that's a really dangerous business. Not because they didn't care. It's just because they didn't know what people did with it. And so when you put the people who use it and the people who bring it together, they can have a really honest conversation about, don't waste your time bringing all of this in. I just need this. 
can you make this available for me here and I can use it? And the other way around too is because data engineers feel like they do a lot of work and nobody appreciates what they do because at the end of the day, they do a lot of work in the back end and somebody comes and presents it all out and they get all the credit. So if you, the team work together, they could get, they could shine a light on the work that the data engineers, amazing work they do too. And that's another interesting piece. But there's third element to the business. There's data scientists who say, interpret and make good sense of the data. The state engineers who bring the data. But I also like to believe there's third component to translators as like to call them. These could be the BI people. These could be analysts. These could be product owners or data product owners. These are people who will actually make it look attractive and important because more often than not, I've also worked with data scientists in the past who build some of the most amazing segmentation models, but won't take the time to explain how it works or what it means or what you should do. with it. So if all those three people work together, then there's nobody's talking at crossroads and we can actually solve one problem at scale rather than trying to solve 10 different problems by 10 different people. Yeah. So can we dive into that a little bit? How have you structured your team in terms of skill set and capabilities and remit to have this interaction with the business and make sure that the data products actually become used in the business? So the first thing I'll call out is it depends on the maturity of the organization and where their data is at. Latitude, for example, had really good maturity even before I came in, thanks to all the smart people who've done work before me. The problem was the last mile, which was people not knowing what to do with it. They really had good data. They had good infrastructure. They just didn't know what to do with it. So that's a different setup to the iconic where I worked, where we started from scratch. So it was a green slate. And everywhere I go, we do a two-stage process. The first stage is having all the analysts and analytics people and insights people in one cohort. They have the skill sets to go interpret data, analyze it, do whatever it is. And they have the business knowledge and SME subject matter expertise to understand it. So that's one group of people. The other group of people are the people who will build data assets or build reporting assets that so that we can then translate that into something that's more important and interesting and converted into reports and dashboards and stuff like that. The third group are the data engineers and data platform people. So not only do they bring data in, either through pipelines or through streaming pipelines or through infrastructure, they also build the platforms that other people need to do their data work, be it a machine learning platform, or an ETL platform or whatever it is. And then the last group, the data governance people who make sure that everything's happening and humming and hawing in harmony. So that's how we typically structure four different groups of people. And so once you do a discipline-based approach, then what we do is we try to pick and choose for a particular project, one data scientist, one data engineer, one BI person, one data governance person working together with a data product owner to then solve a problem. So if somebody wants to solve a problem for customer acquisition, you have now four people working on that problem, knowing exactly what to do and self-sufficient. And that cross-functional approach to data works really, really well. So that everyone feels successful and everyone knows what everyone else is doing. So that, that works well for us. So you've described an organization there that already had pretty good maturity when it comes to being data-driven and metrics-driven, data literate. You've been there for about a year now. Could you tell us about the organization you entered and then what you've done since then to further the use of data across the organization? So when I entered, the challenge was there were different teams working on different problems, completely different problems. So the data engineering team was part of the technology function or the engineering function. And so their job was to just build the data lake and bring data in, bring the tools. They really did not care about the eventual problems that was being solved. The analytics team were trying to solve the actual customer problems or volume problems, but they didn't have access to the right data. They couldn't bring the data in that they needed. Then the BI team was building reports for operational support, other customer-facing events, but they couldn't try to solve other problems that these two P teams were trying to do. So everyone was 
solving a local maxima problem and what we try to do is bring them together and say don't let's not solve four or five different problems let's solve these top three problems which is accessibility intelligence and reliability and let's arrange ourselves in a way where we can then solve these problems and that's one thing that we've changed and the other thing that has also changed is when anybody who does data comes together it is also strength in numbers people feel a little bit more confident about taking on a challenging problem and saying I think we can do it because I have X, Y, and Z, and I know he or she can then get it done for me. That's the other thing that we've done. And third thing is when the organization also sees that there is a proper data function, not different data components everywhere, they also get the confidence that this group can actually solve a problem. So for example, we now have the go to solve all the personalization problems in-house. We now have the go to do all the credit decisioning problems in-house. So previously that was going to be outsourced to someone else because we thought we didn't have the capability. But now we've shown that we can do that. We aligned ourselves the right way. We're being asked to solve more intellectually challenging problems, which is really good. So have you brought in additional skill sets and additional numbers of people or have you literally just brought together a group that was already there and just made it a super team a unicorn team so yeah mostly 92% of the people were people who were already there so we've just brought them everyone else in and 8% of the people are the ones that we brought from outside we've seeded some interesting new talent like ml engineers ml ops people data ops people some some talent that was missing but more or mostly these just repurposing people's skill sets that were really good in one space and another space and trying to bring them all together. And people were really willing to step up, right? Everyone was like, I want to learn and do something. This is just the opportunity that was missing. And so we just made sure this opportunity is available. Yeah, I find that people in data science are, if I call that whole umbrella data science, are often looking for career opportunities and opportunities to really impact the business, but there's just not historically been those uh, career pathways and uh, enough of a, a structure within analytics functions to allow for not necessarily managerial progression or responsibility for that, but to grow your skill set or your competency and become a really deep subject matter expert in certain areas uh, because you're too thinly spread across too many things. Is that something that you feel like you have uh, impacted positively as well through this? Yeah, it's a fair thing, right? Because people care about more than one thing. So they try to do a few things. And then when they try to do many things at once, nobody's hearing them out because they're not they're able to do even one thing completely end-to-end. So they're just not succeeding on all those three to four things. So what we do is we identify which one thing is that person focuses all what we're about. So we take that person and have an honest conversation and say, what is that one thing that you want to succeed in this next six to 12 months and then make sure that opportunities are available to that person. So you've had a lot of people move from being, say, in the analytics team to the data governance team, being the data governance to the data engineering team, so data engineering team to the BI team and so on and so forth. So we've had people move around because that was what they really cared for at the end of the day when you have an honest conversation. It doesn't mean that you've changed now. You can always come back and do something else. So giving them that option of you can go back and do what you did but you can still try this out. That that flexibility really is something that people appreciate. And given everyone is in one quote-unquote team, it doesn't feel like you're moving out of your team. You're just moving within the team, which also makes it much easier. Nice. So, Shira, we've heard about your team here, but what does a week in your role look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So it, I typically split it into percentage points so that I can explain to people what I do. So 40% of my time is in trying to work with the enterprise and the executive stakeholders and the board and working towards that, trying to help understand why we should invest in the right spaces 
because my, a lot of my job is to trying to convince people that these are the right areas to invest in and these are the right problems to solve and these are the right this is how we can help your team so trying to do that be it funding be it executive alignment be it support that's something we do so that's 40% of my time then 20% of my time goes towards managing people i like to believe people who lead people need to focus more on the people rather than the activity so we have a quite a sizable team so we have around 100 people in the business so trying to help everyone has a particular need at a particular point in time be it job retention or be it trying to find the next career path and stuff like that so trying to do that is 20% of my time 20% of my time i spend on actually building stuff because i feel if i don't have my hands on my tools i'll go crazy so that 20% is all about either building a dashboard for someone or find, doing an analysis for someone or writing an algorithm or some anything that helps and then i work 10% of the time is with partners and vendors and stuff like that so i can really help deliver that understand what they are trying to bring to the table and how we can because we can't just work with our teams we need to work with partners and yet the last 10% is trying to learn something new so that's typically 100% of my week so 40% with executive stakeholders and the business 20% with the team 20% on the actual delivery and the remainder 2 10% on stuff that changes all the time yeah so you have a nice mix between typically is called manager time and maker time i don't know if you've heard that concept before i personally find it very hard to find time for this maker time where you having fun with the technical stuff and not forgetting your old skills that you used to get you to where you are now how do you manage to do that when there's so many people pulling your sleeves all the time so i typically look keep an ear to the ground as so when the, the first 40% of i spoke but somebody always has a challenge that is not being met by the team currently so like oh i want this dashboard or i want this analysis or i want this algorithm but the team just doesn't have time your team doesn't have time so i assess it and i try to see which of this can i do really quick I've done it before or I know I can successfully pull off. Then I tell the team that, let me do one for you. Let me pick up something for you. So I'm picking up something that the team needs to do, but it's on their backlog. It's too far away. But the business is crying loud about and try to combine those two and try to pick that up problem. And there's always a problem like that. So I, I budget time in my calendar to make sure that I have time. So I book slots on different days of the week to just get some focus time to do this. And when you do that, I then go back to the business and try to explain to them, see, we can do this. Only if you had more people, we could do this at scale. And so that helps them understand why they should invest in that area. And they, they can see that we're putting our money where our mouth is. And so that's something we try to do. And looking at the ownership structure of Latitude or GE Capital, as it used to be called, there is... obviously a very strategic focus on data science right from the top because you are owned by a group of private equity investors and if you look carefully you can see across their portfolio of businesses they have also invested heavily in data and analytics across other companies in that portfolio what does this ownership structure and the executive sponsorship that you must be getting what does that mean for the data analytics function and remit in your organization Yeah so a couple of things right so one is the board which represents the owners are very supportive of the data program of work that we're trying to do uh, they complete extremely data literate to the point where they can ask a pointed question and try to have a conversation about our algorithmic capability or our data governance capability or data science so that's really good so they everyone understands what we're trying to do and ask pointed questions which makes for interesting conversation and two what that also means therefore is when you're trying to do a program when you're trying to 
deliver a capability or deliver value we don't have to explain why it's being done or what it the value is we just have to worry about how impactful it can be and therefore what can we do to improve it so the conversations are not about why the conversations about what if and so what and so that that completely changes when you have people who understand the concepts who understand the technology both at an executive leadership level and at the board level so that's been really good here So I want to just dive into that. So you're saying that your board members are not just analytics literate, they have a really deep understanding of what data science can do and and also how it's generated. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say and they also come with questions on I've seen x happen here. When are we doing that x here and why are we not doing it? And so then you can have a conversation about maybe x works for them, it doesn't work for us or yes we are almost doing that x and we can talk about it in the next quarter. And so the conversations are never about tell me what data is, it's about Yep, I understand all of this, and I've seen this happen somewhere else. And challenging us to try to do something better—that's always been really good. So, always trying to meet the set a higher bar is what they do. I think this is just such a fundamentally different setup that you have because you have that support. Uh, when I think about, and I have to be careful here—the painting everyone with the same brush. But often boards are not that analytics literate because it's typically in the latter half of your career that you're on a board and back when you were in senior management or middle management or what have you as a board member the person who's now a board member where they were back then the field of data science and analytics wasn't invented yet so it takes time for those generations to kind of flow through and so you're a bit ahead of the curve there it seems that's definitely true and that's one good thing about this uh, this role is they've agitated for the to be a chief data officer they've agitated for it to be a function that can deliver change and so it's really helpful to have support of both the executive leadership team and the board to deliver this program yeah good for you i think if you don't have executive support it's very very hard to do the things you need to do in data science because it typically is new and unseen and you kind of have to forge a path in the organization so you just got to have that support so there obviously is this strategic focus on data science what are some of these strategic opportunities that you're pursuing and what are tools and techniques that you're using to create data solutions for colleagues and for customers so one is basically improving accessibility to insights So we're trying to work on ways where we can simplify all our reporting end to end be it operational or customer or performance and anybody in the business can come and look at any piece of information that he or she needs to make a decision so that's something that we're working on so that's one big piece it seems like a standard statement that everyone makes but what i mean by that it's not just building reports it's also about building data assets and building a platform where everyone feels comfortable to come query for the assets understand what's where like a catalog of metrics understand how it's defined who uses them everything is available so people don't feel like they have to ever talk to another person again to understand how this is defined or what what it means so for example revenue who defines revenue what is revenue how it's defined what is the right metric if you want to know more talk to x and without having to speak to anyone without having to read through multiple confluence pages you can get that information so we're building a cataloging tool centralized reporting platform and a centralized data model so that's one big area we're working on the other one that we're working on is a bigger focus on customers that was a key genesis for this role customer first experiences so be it personalization for customers in terms of their shopping experience be it personalization in terms of the offers that we can make for them personalization in terms of the communications we do and servicing we do so that's another big area we're working on and the third one that we're working on is building capability where people can self serve other things like data engineering as a service anybody can bring data in without having to get hired data engineer machine learning as a service so anybody can build a data science algorithm and deploy it without having to worry about ml ops and kubernetes and stuff like that 
and last but not the least, a lot of data literacy programs. So anybody can sell some insights. So those are three big areas. That's pretty much our strategy for the next year to try to solve for these three big problems. And that's very interesting. You talk about the business of personalization, which I think is the next frontier for most organizations that have called it an ongoing service relationship with their customers. Um, it's really bringing together technology data and experience design to create the future customer experience. For the listeners who aren't aware, Latitude Financial, and uh, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, uh, Shira, but historically it was the personal loans and credit card business, so sort of unsecured personal lending, and also now has a buy now, pay later offering, which again, you have a lot of transactional knowledge in terms of or transactional data history and knowledge of how to use that. But the buy now, pay later data just gives you an extra edge on the stuff you can see around what the customer's buying behavior and so on. And you can also help curate some of these things. Is that really the holy grail for you and the company in terms of personalization? Yeah, so personalizing, definitely personalizing somebody's experience with credit and also personalizing how they interact with the finances. Because right now it's very cut and dry. There's only one way to repay. There's only one way. How do we make sure that's a dynamic way to repay? How do we make sure that everyone benefits from this relationship? You don't have to have high interest rates to pay down stuff and like trying to find out creative ways for how people can borrow and also how people can pay back responsibly so that we are, we cater to the responsible lending obligations is something that we're trying to work on. So yes to the shopping experience, but also more on the financial health and financial literacy side of things too. And before you became the CDO at Latitude, you spent three and a half years at the Global Fashion Group which owns a range of very large online fashion retailers like the Iconic, which is the one that's famous here in Australia. What did you learn from your roles there and the fashion industry more generally that you can use in this role? So the one thing I often joke about is the world of retail, people treat customers like their best friends. They understand everything about them. They try to do everything for them. They go out of their way. But in the financial services industry, they treat customers like accounts. It's account number and, and transaction, literally and figuratively, it's a transactional relationship. So my retail upbringing helps me look at the customers in the financial institution as a customer or as a friend and do everything for their benefit and for their experiences. So that's something that I'm trying to bring to the table. here. So could you give us an example of how you've come in with that approach and how that's changed things up? A really good example is personalizing their experience with us, right? So in the retail world, uh, not only if somebody buys, say, for example, if you buy that T-shirt, if you buy that T-shirt on the Iconic, somebody would tell, oh, this T-shirt is great, but why don't you buy this pant that goes well? Not because other people are buying it, because that's the style that goes well. So we make a recommendation that's driven by style, driven by fashion, driven by context, not just driven by uh, like an Amazon, people who buy this also buy that, not to make you buy more, but to help with your outfit. So we complete the outfit for you. So you can buy a shirt, a pant, a shorts, a shoe, everything else associated with it. And you can decide what to buy and what not to buy. Or we can personalize. We can, when, you, when we send you offers, for example, we won't send you any products that are not in your size, not in your taste, not in your color. So you don't have to wait waste your time looking through hundreds of things that you never were going to buy. But in the banking world, it's, there's no such thing. Everyone gets the same offer. Everyone gets a 10% off or whatever it is. Everyone gets the same interest rate. That's not how it is. If retailers can do it, I'm sure financial institutions can do it and go out of their way because we understand customer needs better. So how do we do a needs-driven 
marketing and a moments driven marketing rather than just a one size cut all marketing is probably one thing that i've seen massively different in the two industries yeah i often reflected on banking when i worked in that industry of being very product driven versus industries like retail actually starting with the customers so the customer walks into the store and as you said you can dress them in different ways it's it's all about it matching and and fulfilling the customer's need to give them the full outfit Whereas a lot of financial institutions are structured functionally, operationally, and the way that they also interact with their customers around products and sort of this sort of very siloed product lens of, of the world. But in actual fact, financial services are a means to an outcome, not a goal in itself. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing how uh, you will succeed. Uh, I have no doubt you will succeed, uh, how you'll succeed with this uh, latitude. Now, Shira, let's talk about creating a truly data-driven organization because that obviously takes a lot more than just producing technically sound data products. So in your eyes, what capabilities must the data and analytics functions have to deliver into the business and what capabilities must the business have to be able to consume the output that you create correctly? Yeah, so I like to think that that's what I call the data sets skill set mindset approach. So one that you mentioned is definitely the data set problem, right? Data, when I say data set, not just the data, the data and the tools associated with it. Everyone says, oh, we have Tableau. Why don't you just go and learn it? And I'm like, that's not how it works. Or we have tool X or tool Y or platform X. We have everything. People just have to come and write a piece of SQL and learn it. And people don't realize that people who are not in the data space the moment they see a graph, it just is so off-putting for them. They don't want to do anything with it. And I, when I work a lot more with them, yes, getting the data set and the tools is the first step. Once you do that, then you need a massive journey of getting the people on the tools and trying to make it in a way where people, everyone feels like they can come and use it. So skill set is all about people feeling like they can come and use it and training them to use it in the context of your business. So for example, if you have a, a dashboarding platform where people can see dashboards, it's not just about go use the dashboards, but it's about what happens if you use this? If now that number says 103, what is 103? Is it good? Is it bad? How do you interpret it for your particular division, for your particular business? And that training of understanding it and connecting to your daily work, if we don't try to do that, everyone tries to do skill set programs like LinkedIn Learning or Udemy or Data Camp, and it's very generic. So people can go learn SQL or Python or interpreting numbers. But in the context of your business, if you don't do it, if you're not personalizing it for your business, then it doesn't work. So that's something that is needed. And the last one is mindset. And when I say mindset, it's basically people believing that there is credibility in this team, that they can trust them if things are good and bad. So let me give you a good example. Right? You and I, we work in the data space. If we deliver good news, everyone's like really happy with us. They're like, yep, this is the best team that we have. And the moment you start saying, oh, you can't do this, or this is bad, or it's not working, they're like, oh, we don't have data. We don't have the right people. We don't have the right problems. We need the right team. And so how do we build that credibility that people trust us when news is good and bad, like they do trust doctors, right? So yes, you can get a second opinion, but you still trust the doctor for what he or she delivers. So that credibility is the last part, and that's really hard to build. And so once you build that is when the organization becomes truly data-driven. So it will have the tools, it will know, it'll have the people who know how to use the tools, and it will also have people who trust that this can actually make my life better, even if it says something that I don't believe in right now, because over a long period of time, it will definitely add value to my role and my decision-making. So those three things are definitely needed to make it data-driven. So in terms of credibility, what have you seen that is really critical to make that work? I think for credibility, it's basically, at the end of the day, people don't want to trust it because they feel you just giving them a solution and walking away. If you're willing to stick with them and say, 
if it works or doesn't work i will be there and i will be the taking accountability for that final decision so i'll really give you a really good example so we wrote this amazing picking algorithm in the iconic and so the picking algorithm would tell somebody a picker at the warehouse how to go pick items when she gets a batch or he gets a batch and so they go pick stuff in the warehouse and so the algorithm was obviously a simple operational research or tool space algorithm so what it would do was people it would say go to a2 now and go to z25 next and so it doesn't make any sense for a human they like i don't understand it it seems too complicated you're just giving me a random path i won't use it and so what we said was no trust us this is the algorithm mapping simulating like hundreds and thousands of paths for every single combination and coming up with the best combination we can't explain the math to you because it's complicated but what we can do is we can walk with you and prove that it's right so we had data scientists literally walk with them for the first couple of days and showed them see if you did it this way it cost x if you did it the other way it cost y and therefore there is value in it and then over a period of time as they rolled it out we were there at every step of the way and so once that happens they buy that oh this team is not just there to deliver it and walk away but there to implement it with us and take the blame and improve it that is what i mean by credibility so it's not just about delivering a piece of work it's also about then living with it and making sure people get the right support they need through it and that builds the credibility and then the second time you walk in and try to deliver something they probably won't be as against it they probably be like i think i can trust them a little bit more so this time i'll ask them the right questions and not have to build stuff from scratch so that's really good so i'm hearing in that a lot of empathy for your stakeholder and a very strong focus on getting the outcome as opposed to implementing a technical solution so that is definitely something that we can all learn from now short history lesson if we talk about the first corporate executive committees and we're probably going back to before the second world war here they typically consisted of a financially astute ceo and they would have a small number of general managers who would oversee whole business divisions so let's say someone oversaw north america someone oversaw europe and so on and it was for the whole of the business of so finance and payroll and operations and production and what have you then as businesses became more complex over time we've started seeing all these functional experts become chief executives so cfo cro cmo cio and so on and in my opinion the next 5 to 10 years we'll see a shift in who sits on that executive committee and it has to be more and more data and technology led customer experience we've talked about and i get the sense that your board agrees which necessarily means that there needs to be space for chief experience officers and chief data and analytics officers or whatever we call the sort of work that you do there has to be space for them on these executive committees and these two roles combined with the chief technology officer or chief information officer whatever we call them will have to deliver the future of data driven customer experience that's my sort of vision for how things will play out at a very high level how do you see the evolution of the chief data and analytics role in the next 5 to 10 years one thing i see is like quite like every other role uh, every other functional leadership role as i want to call it data currently is probably in the limelight for the next 5 7 years there'll definitely be a lot more cdos coming up or cdaos coming up and trying to do this but i think after that given how commoditized it's getting and how it's all about people making smarter decisions i think once organizations go past that curve of like i keep telling this capability building and this value delivery from data right now there is the capability which is everyone using the same data sets data assets or everyone using a machine learning platform or everyone using 
reporting platform and stuff like that. It's very fragmented, but we can, we have already seen a lot of consolidation and com commoditization of that. So once that happens, capability building will become less of, less and less important and value creation will become more important. And the moment that inflection happens when that, it's all about creating value and making use of the data, it will not, it will not be a separate function, but it will be a part of every single function is how I think about it. So if a business is driving, say commercial business driving change, they need to have data people in it. If a technology part is driving change, they need data to be part of it. And that's how I like to think about it. So in the next five, seven years, the CDO role, just like the other older CDO, which is chief digital officer role, will not just be a role that is separate, but it'll be part of every single function. And the people who are running data organizations now would probably step up to do more focused, more focused roles that demand a lot of data. For example, marketing is one area I believe needs a lot of data experience. Yes, creativity and branding is, I'm not denying that, but given performance marketing is all the rage, you need a lot of data and data insights. So somebody who's run a data function will start running marketing, for example, or the customer area, for example, that's another area where you need a lot of data. So that's how I think it will transform from being a data function to being a function that does a lot of data and also delivers a customer or a enterprise outcome and then the other parts of it will go into the aspects of business how i like to think about it and what do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities for chief data and analytics officers today so the biggest challenge definitely is buy-in right i think a lot of people pay lip service to yes it's the right thing to do we should do it but the moment you say yes if you want to do it you need money and that's where you short stop you're like oh it's not we don't have the investment for it right now or we can't invest people or time or technology in it that's the challenge right because you're handicapped there's only so much you can do with goodwill and with a handful of people you need investment you need time and resources and the industry and the enterprise buy-in to do it so that's the biggest challenge i see my fellow data leaders face is they have really good ideas. They know what needs to be done. It's just they're limited because there's always a competing list of priorities and data never makes it to the top. So that's one big challenge. Uh, the other challenge was obviously in the coming years is going to be about talent. So you have funding, you have buying, but you don't find the people and that's going to be the next big challenge. So hiring for the right people, making sure you're building the right talent and retaining them, that's going to become harder and harder in the coming years. Now, most organizations are still without a formal chief data analytics officer, and there'll be a lot of listeners to this podcast that have the ambitions to step up into a role like that, but typically they'll have to forge a path for themselves. What do you think aspiring CDAOs could do to prepare themselves for that top job today? Most important thing is to be able to connect what data people do for a living to what the business needs and that bridge and being that person and trying to be able to explain what why we need to do it and the what if and the so what of it is probably more important. So I work with, I mentor a lot of people who are like heads of data science or heads of data engineering and stuff like that. And the challenge with them is they're really good at what they do. But the moment somebody comes and says, okay, I want to give you money. What will I get? They're like, you'll get this technology, this technology, this outcome, this outcome. They're like, no, what will I get? And so that answer of what will you get? Why should you do invest money in it? What is the value to the business or the customer? I think being able to explain that, that extra level of why somebody should care about your functional area, if they can do that, then that will help them really get a seat at the table and also start the conversation on, okay, this person understands the commercial reality of it and also the technology side of it. And therefore, they should be the right people to lead this function. That's how I think about that particular role. The way I think about it is we talk a lot about tools and techniques and one year it's SAS, the next year it's Python or R or Power BI versus Tableau or 
whatever it is. But the thing that never changes is the master code is, in our case, the English language. And uh, you got to master that and be able to really communicate what it is that you want to achieve and to deliver value to the organization. So I couldn't agree more with you from what you just said there. Now, Shira, we're coming towards the end of the conversation. Is there anything that you would like to get across or mention that we haven't discussed so far? I think it was really good chat and I've heard your other podcasts and when you speak to the other leaders of analytics, I think the one aspect, everyone talks about having empathy, everyone talks about trying to explain this to people. I think the only part that I would ask all the other leaders to do, like you keep saying, is pay it forward and pay it forward in their own ways and not just career progression and stuff like that, but pay it forward into the into the community and help foster the idea that data does not have to be, like you said, nobody has to do a degree to get into the space. They can literally walk up, be willing to learn. For that to happen, they'll have to go out into the community and talk a lot more about it and get people excited. So that's something that I definitely ask leaders in the area to do more. Wonderful call out. So everyone on the podcast listening in, please follow Good Advice here. And Shira, you did mention paid forward, and it is something that we mention here on Leaders of Analytics. And typically I ask, when I ask you now as well, who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why? So this is a person called Dr. Alex Antic. He's the adjunct professor at RMIT and is also the professor at ANU. And he's also recognized as the top analytics leader in Australia. The reason I really like what he does is he's the bridge between academia and industry. So he runs a lot of these data innovation hubs where he makes it possible for students to get a pathway into data science and analytics. So he, the, the one that I spoke about in the past. So he d- runs a lot of these programs across universities. He finds the right employers. He finds the right students, connects them. And so more people can come into this space without having to go elsewhere, find out, and eventually come here directly. They can finish their uni or as they finish up their uni, they can get a paid job and come in. So he does a lot of that great work. And he's also a big proponent of how people can be more data literate. So that's something he'd be a really good person to talk to in this space. Wonderful recommendation. And I'm sure we can convince Alex to come on the show. I will definitely be reaching out to him. So thank you for that. Now, lastly, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of your content? So I typically try to write uh, on my blog, shirasaga.com. So this is my full name, dot because my name's unique. It's so easy to get that domain site. Nobody parks it. So if you just put my name.com, you'll go to a page. I do this weekly newsletter where I put together top five articles that everyone needs to know and can share with their friends and peers. So that's another thing that I write a lot. So somebody, if they're interested, they can hear more. And I do a lot of speaking. So everything's there on that website. So that's one place you can find more about me. Yeah, I did have a look at your website and I was very impressed with the number of speaking engagements you've had over the last three or four years, notwithstanding pandemic and all the challenges in the world. So well done for continuing to add to our wonderful data community. Shira Saga, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics. I really enjoyed the conversation and I have no doubt the listeners did too. And I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Jonas. I appreciate that.